Father, thank you that you're here with us by your spirit. And as we read your word that you inspired 2,000 years ago, we pray that here now today, our eyes and ears would be opened to hear your voice, to see what it means to follow Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, the Financial Times regularly runs a fantasy dinner party series where contributors get to say who they'd most want to have dinner with and what they would eat and where it would be. Who would you be most excited about having to your fantasy dinner party, I wonder? Uh, In the Financial Times, they obviously go for very serious and worthy uh, options. Uh, I, I, I noticed a few. The 18th century Russian poet Alexander Pushkin, very good. Pablo Picasso, economist John Maynard Keynes, The Daily Express ran a similar uh, survey of the British public a few years ago, which revealed a slightly less exotic list of people. Top 10 included Judy Dench, Mary Berry, Dame Maggie Smith, David Attenborough, comedian Peter Kay, who I think would be a great highlight at any dinner party. Uh, There is, however, always a nagging fear. I don't know whether you, you, you think this, you know, If you had one of these uh, extraordinary people to dinner in your house, might they actually turn out in person to be rather less fun to have around than than you might have hoped? Might they turn out to be a a rather terrible conversationalist in person? You do hear about people who, uh, you know, appear to be all the life and soul of the party on stage, but then off stage have nothing to say whatsoever. Well, one person who didn't feature on any of these lists in these papers and who would definitely not be the safest of dinner party guests was, of course, Jesus. He had a habit of saying particularly awkward things, particularly at dinner parties, as well as other places. But think about it. What would it have been like to have a conversation with Jesus? Not just to exchange a few words, but to have a sustained conversation back and forth think what that would reveal about him and think what it would reveal about you all of the four gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John record Jesus speaking and having conversations with a variety of individuals but John's gospel is unique in the length of the conversations that it records with individuals and with groups. If you think about it, Matthew, Mark and Luke, if you're familiar with them at all, everything tends to be a lot more condensed, just a little bit of information about what was exchanged, the pith of the the nub of the issue. In John, it's much more uh, sort of spelt out back and forth, getting a real insight into what Jesus was saying and thinking about things, what his respondents were saying as they uh, interact with him. So over the summer in these evenings, we're going to be spending time meeting Jesus as he meets all these different types of people. And each time we're going to discover something fresh, we hope, about Jesus and something fresh about ourselves. Jesus is always full of compassion for these individuals that he spends time with, but he also wants to help them get beyond their immediate situation, their own horizons to see that there's more to life than is immediately obvious, that death is not the end, that the key to fulfillment now and uh, into eternal life forever, that that the key is him and him alone. 
So we start tonight, the title tonight is A Confused Minister, Confused Vicar, who comes to him, Nicodemus. Here he is, chapter 3, verse 1. He's a member of the religious establishment. In today's terms, you know, he might be a bishop in the House of Lords with a chauffeur and a personal staff team. You know, and here he is creeping around at night, verse 2. Is he slightly ashamed? Does he not want people to see him stooping so low as to spend his time with this untaught carpenter from Nazareth, well outside the religious elite and establishment of the day? Or maybe is, by by talking about that night, is, is John drawing our attention to a kind of ominous tone to things going on here? And actually, if you go through the gospel and notice when John draws your attention to things happening at night, it's quite striking. And back in the prologue in chapter one, he talks about darkness and he talks about light coming into darkness. And in fact, Jesus is then talked about as being the light of the world. So you've got all this in the background here, but here is Nicodemus and he starts with a platitude, an attempt to ingratiate himself, to win Jesus's affection. You know, we, we know you're a teacher from God because how else could you do these signs that you are doing like changing water into wine um, as uh, back in chapter two what he's saying is you know Jesus I can see you may be an untaught carpenter from Nazareth but you're one of us come and join the club and be somebody like us somebody like me you know, my, some of my religious colleagues are a little bit suspicious of you, but I can see that there's more to you than meets the eye. You, could, you too could be a great religious leader like me if you play your cards right. But you see, the thing about Jesus is calling him a good teacher never works out well in the Gospels. It's a bit like suggesting maybe to Ben Stokes, that, uh, you know, Ben, you, you, you might like to come and train with the local village cricket club to kind of hone your skills a bit. Might help. Actually, to someone like that, it's not a compliment, is it? It's an embarrassing undervaluing of who he really is. And so here's Jesus. He gets down to business. I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, what you really need to understand is no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And this is then the focus for the rest of this conversation. And it's the first thing that we need to see here. So here's the first thing from these verses. To enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now, I don't know what you think about the term born again. If it starts ringing various alarm bells in the back of your mind or confusions, uh, for a certain type of, um, I guess, American politician, particularly, being born again is a kind of qualification for office, a badge of pride. Uh, I think that's probably because, according to one survey, 45% of Americans say they're born again. So no surprise that uh, politicians seeking to win their votes need to kind of present themselves in a particular way. I think in the UK, I don't know what you think, but I think here we're more likely to hear people saying something like, well, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-again types. I don't know if that's the sort of thing people might say, you know, in the office or wherever. Well, I think there's a, there's a great danger of jargon, isn't there, in Christian circles, you know, whether we're 
we're throwing around terms like born again, you know, without really understanding what they mean, or, or we, you know, we avoid using terms like that because we don't really understand what they mean. But we need to get under the surface a bit. What does Jesus mean when he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again in order to the, enter the kingdom of God as this conversation continues? Well, let's, let's think about it. If, if you'd asked Nicodemus, Mr. Religious Nicodemus, how do you enter the kingdom of God? What would he have said? You know, being a good Jewish uh, member, a, a, a good Pharisee, what would he have said? He'd probably have said something about keeping God's law, doing what God requires, you know, with the implication that someone like him would be a pretty good example to follow. So he works pretty hard on making sure that none of those laws gets broken. So up against that, Jesus is saying something a bit different, a bit weird even. You must be born again. And, and Nicodemus, if we find it odd and we don't understand what it means, Nicodemus finds it puzzling too. What, what do you mean? You know, surely you can't enter a second time into your mother's womb to be born. The journey out of the womb is a one-way ticket. He knows that and it's obvious, isn't it? No way back. How can you be born when you're old? So Jesus tries again, he says, to explain things to Mr. Bible scholar Nicodemus, he, he starts to drop little allusions to the Old Testament that Nicodemus really ought to recognise. He starts to say, well, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Water and the Spirit. Ah, oh, yes, that rings bells with the promises God made of new hearts that he would sprinkle his people with water to cleanse them and put a new spirit in them. So why did they need that? Well, they needed that because of their sin. Because human beings can never save themselves. That's what flesh gives birth to flesh means. Sinful human beings give birth to, to more sinful human beings. It's inevitable. That's what happens. No matter how hard we try, we can't break out of the cycle of sin and rebellion and death. We need a new start. We need, in other words, to be born again. Now, I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but it's, it's a bit like if I wanted to get on Strictly Come Dancing. I'm, uh, I'm not a celebrity, obviously. So the, you know, how would I get on Strictly Come Dancing? Well, my only hope would be to get on as one of the professional dancers. That's the other sort of route in to Strictly, isn't it? So, uh, you know, I practice a bit and uh, it, it's worth, you know, it's worth saying I'm generally banned from dancing in public by my family, but, you know, I, I give it a go anyway. And uh, I practice and turn up for the audition for professional dancer for Strictly Come Dancing. And I go in and do my thing and, and I wait expectantly for the news to come. Uh, back from the, 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 the people doing the audition and finally a letter comes through the letterbox and I tear it open and I open it and it says, Dear Mr. Watts, we regret to inform you that your audition to be a professional dancer on Strictly Come Dancing was not successful. We suggest you do not apply again. You do not appear to have any of the qualities required of professional dancers, such as coordination and graceful movement. In fact, to put it bluntly, 
the only way for you to become a professional dancer would be for you to be born again. Now, do you see what these uh, lovely people from Strictly Come Dancing are saying? They're not saying, well, Tom, you know, if you just did a bit more practicing, if you just, if you just went to a few more dance lessons and, uh, you know, tried a little, little bit harder, then you might make it. They're not saying that, are they? They're saying, look, there's no hope here. You've got to start over. You've got to start all over again. And the thing is, actually, lots of people think the way into God's kingdom and what he's really after in the end is for us just to sort of practice a little bit more, go to a few more religious lessons, get a bit better at religious activities, be a bit more like Mr. Bible scholar Nicodemus. Jesus is saying, no, the only hope is to start over, to be born all over again. Now, not physically, of course, but spiritually. Now, sometimes people ask, is this therefore something that has to keep on happening? As I keep on sinning, do I need to be born again, again, once more? Well, the answer is you can only be born once physically and you can only be born once spiritually. It doesn't need to keep happening. But this second birth is the only way that our past sins and failures can be left behind. And it's striking, isn't it? He's not just saying that to the really obvious failure, the, the notorious sinner, actually quite the opposite. He's saying it to the best of the best. He's saying it to the religious professional. You know, the world around us divides the world into good, and, good people and evil people, as if, you know, the good people are basically those who aren't paedophiles and aren't dictators and aren't racist and aren't phobic of any particular group. But Jesus is actually saying something much more radical than that. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Even among those who call themselves Christians and you know, part of God's people, it's easy to start to take pride in our own performance, to take pride in our commitment to turning up to church, to serving, to giving. To thinking, well, you know, I'm an insider. You know, and, and therefore, when I hear this kind of teaching from Jesus, well, it's not really about me. It's about those people out there. They need to hear this. No, but Jesus is saying no one, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So there's nothing to boast in there, is there? So that's the first thing this conversation shows us. To enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And then secondly, before we then wrap up with thinking about what this looks like today, we need to ask then, how can we receive this new birth? So to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. Then secondly, to be born again, we simply need to believe in Jesus. So forget, you know, politics and rainbow guitar straps or whatever born again brings to mind. Why do you think Jesus chose this language of being born again? Why not just say, 
you just need to have a fresh start or something like that. Why, why use this second birth language? Well, the reason it's so appropriate is that being born is not something that you get to choose to do for yourself at a time of your choosing, that you get to kind of cause, to bring about. Now, it's a classic complaint, isn't it, from maybe a, I don't know, a frustrated teenager or, or somebody like that, isn't it? You know, they say, it's so unfair, I didn't choose to be born, I didn't, certainly didn't choose to be born in this family, or you know, whatever it might be. But actually, it's, it's, it's exactly the same with being born again. And that's why the Bible uses this language. It's not something we get to bring about for ourselves. So look at verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus is saying the same thing. You see, you can't, you can't cause the winds to blow. You can't say, right, we're going to have some wind blowing in this direction here, and we're going to do it now. No, you can't do that. So then comes the key question. Nicodemus's response makes sense, doesn't it? Verse 9, well, if that's the case, how can this be? If it's not something we get to choose for ourselves, how can this happen? Well, first... Jesus takes a moment to point out to Nicodemus that really he ought to know better. He's, uh, he, he's not teaching anything new here, which is what he says, verses 11 and 12 and 13. But then verses 14 to 16 get to the point. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And so he's, again, Mr. Bible scholar Nicodemus, he's saying, remember that Old Testament story, Numbers chapter 21, Moses in the desert, the Israelites had sinned against God by grumbling against him, they're under his judgments, they're suffering from a plague of snakes, and they ask for mercy, and God tells Moses to do something which on the surface is a bit strange. He says, okay, here's this big plague of snakes, Get a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and then any Israelite who looks at the bronze snake on the pole will be saved. And you think, that's a, bit, that's a bit weird, a bit random, but it turns out it's not random because God intended it to become a symbol of an even greater rescue where his own son would be lifted up, not on a pole, but on a cross. And anyone who looked to him would be saved. So put all the pieces together. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that if you want to be born again, you need to look to Jesus and believe in him. And so John 3, 16, the next verse, most famous verse in the Bible, sums it up. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believe in him and you will be born again with eternal life. Which is not to say that there is something after all that we can do to make ourselves born again. You know, you, you, you have to believe. Oh, that, there you go. That's the thing you have to do. Well, if you were here last week, we thought about this a bit in the, in the Q&A after last week's sermon. But the, the person drowning in the ocean who is rescued by, uh, you know, the guy who comes on the rope dangling from a helicopter. Well, yes, they have to put up their hand 
so the guy on the rope can grab them. They have to accept the salvation that's being offered to them, but they can hardly claim that that is therefore what saves them. It'd be ridiculous to claim that they've made any contribution at all as they put up their hands to be rescued. And that's exactly how it is with being born again. Not something that you can cause to happen. You just have to throw yourself on Jesus. Say, I need you to rescue me. Trust me, says Jesus. Believe in me and you will be born again and you will be saved. So we've seen why we need to be born again, because we cannot save ourselves from our rebellion against God. We've seen how we can be born again by simply trusting in Jesus. And so as we finish, I just want to ask us a simple question, which in many ways is a, is a basic question, but it's a question we should ask. Am I born again? Are you born again? Well, you know, the answer you give might be yes. I am born again. I know, I know that I've trusted in Jesus. I might even know the date. Not everybody knows the date of when they first trusted in Jesus. Some people do. It doesn't matter if we don't know exactly when, but if we, we know that we have thrown ourselves on Jesus' mercy, we trusted in him, then let's pray there's never a day when we're not grateful for our new birth, for that new identity. May there never be a day where we don't confess our sins and remember there is no entry into God's kingdom without that new birth, that new start. Such a precious gift to sinners like us. And of course then, well, new birth leads on to new growth and new life to come. That's how it is with physical birth, isn't it? A, a, a baby in the womb cannot see or properly hear anything of their mother or father, but when they're born, everything changes and the relationship grows and grows. So that's how it needs to be with us. Maybe in listening to this, actually you think, no, I know that isn't me. And I'm, I'm not yet trusting in Jesus. I'm not yet born again. Well, have you heard what Jesus is asking us to do in these verses? Not to try and prove ourselves, not to try and earn it, to show how our lives are good enough to deserve this new birth. And actually so many people give up on Christian faith because they assume it's not for people like them or they think that there's some particular thing that they've done or that happened in the past that excludes them, that disqualifies them. But these verses show this is, this is for any of us. And we receive it simply by trusting like the person drowning in the sea. The rescue has come in Jesus. Throw yourself on his mercy. Maybe you think, well, you know, I know I'm not born again, but I'd like to be. What do you need to do then? Well, you simply need to trust, to trust Jesus as he asks us here. And you could do that by yourself, or you could do it even as I lead us in prayer now. Let me lead us in prayer as we finish. Father God, 
help us to see that there is nothing we can do to get ourselves into your kingdom. Help us to see that we need to be born again. We need to trust simply in Jesus to receive eternal life. If we've not done that, help us to do that even now. Trust in you and throw ourselves on you. And if we have done that, we pray that as those who have been born again and given a fresh start, we would live lives that humbly depend on you day by day, where we do not grow proud, we're not tempted to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, because Jesus is a saviour for sinners. May we therefore be able to be honest about ourselves, to keep relying and trusting on him, and then walking day by day in the power of your spirit, living the life of the new birth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.